did a lot of touring this week in the Midwestern part of the United States. I went up to Lafayette, Indiana, had a really nice show, met some nice folks there, saw some old friends. Went over to St. Louis, had a great time, and I took Route 66 over to Springfield, Illinois, and uh, stopped off and just did a lot of great roadside attractions. Saw a giant pink elephant and things like that, and if you know me, you know that's everything that I enjoy. But now I'm at a hotel room in Springfield, Illinois, and this morning I went to a graveyard in Petersburg, Illinois, and I was in that same graveyard 10 years ago, It'll be exactly 10 years ago from the date that this episode is published. It was on August 26, 2004. Me and my best buddy Todd were touring through the Midwest, and we stopped off to see the grave of Edgar Lee Masters. He's a poet. He wrote Spoon River anthologies. Don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's wonderful. We wanted to go visit his grave. So we go into this graveyard, and when we pull up to his tombstone, we walk up there. We see that there's this kitten sitting up on top of the headstone. You know, it looks like she hasn't eaten in forever. It's not in good shape, flea-bitten, and looked pretty, pretty lonesome. She was nice, and she just kept following me around every which way, and she seemed like she really liked me. And we thought about it for a little bit, and we're like, man, we cannot leave this cat here. So we went ahead and took her with us, and uh, I was on the road for another three days. We kept her in the car, and she meowed the whole time. She did not like being in the car. But I finally took her home to Amy, and Amy said we could keep her. And she's been one of my best friends now for for 10 years, exactly 10 years from the time that this show was published. I have to say that she's added an awful lot to the quality of my life, and I like having her around. But I'm going to play a show tomorrow night in Indianapolis. It's going to be great to see old friends. And then I'm going to go on up to Chicago, and maybe I'll see some folks then. These shows will probably have already happened by the time this uh, show is published. But I'm going to continue doing some dates out there, and I hope I get to see you guys soon. friends, this is Otis Gibbs, and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in a hotel room in Springfield, Illinois. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. And this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Todd Snyder. Todd is a singer and a songwriter and an author. And you can find out everything you need to know about Todd at toddsnyder.net. If you haven't heard the first episode of When Todd Was On, you need to drop everything and go back and listen to that. People seem to really enjoy it. I know I did. It was a little bit strange, and it was a whole lot of wonderful. It was a lot like Todd. But I was emailing back and forth with Todd, just saying, hey. And he said, hey, man, let's do the show again. And I said, that sounds great. And he says, come over right now. 
But Todd and I met at a secret location. I'm not allowed to say where it was. I'm sure there's some high security stuff involved. It's Todd, so who knows what it might be. But we met up, and we're sitting outside on this porch, and you can hear a little bit of noise in the background. Towards the end, you start hearing somebody mowing grass, which we got a good laugh out of. But uh, Todd has written a book. It's called I Never Met a Story I Didn't Like, Mostly True Tall Tales. And I could not recommend it more. It's hilarious. It's just a whole lot of insights, and it seemed like he opened up quite a lot. We're going to start out with Todd reading aloud from that book. I hope you enjoy this. Here's Todd Snyder. Chapter 9 Most people don't yell in the early hours after sunrise. Yelling is usually for the part of the morning that's technically still part of the night. A neighbor's fight interrupts your sleeping, not your breakfast or the reading of your morning paper. But here was a guy yelling at me while I was doing my morning walk with a foghorn voice that sounded like one of those old Muppets from the balcony had (laughs) had been drinking lots of bourbon. This startled me a little. When I'm home in East Nashville, I rise pretty early, blaze a joint or two, and then take a right turn outside of my door and go around a two-block area five times. It's not so much exercise as it is walking. Sometimes I go by myself, sometimes with my wife, and here was a man yelling, and not just yelling, but yelling about my walking. All that walking's going to kill you. I looked up to where the voice was coming from to the porch of a house in my neighborhood. We call the neighborhood Little Hollywood, but I've been to the actual Hollywood, and it's pretty different. Calling where I live Little Hollywood is like calling Scranton Little New York. The voice coming from the mouth of a tough-looking biker-type guy. I looked at him and smiled and kept walking. Next time I came around the block, he said, Where are you going? Need directions, is what he said the time after that. Want a cigarette, was the time after that. A week later, me and my wife were walking that same walk. We went by the biker guy's house and didn't see him the first time around, but on the next time, as we approached the house, we could hear rock and roll, and I recognized the song. There's a truck turned over on the highway, flares burning out of the snow. I thought about the song. That was it. I've got a song that says the same thing, and it's on my album that's not going to be out for another month, and it was, in fact, my song, and here it was coming right out of this biker guy's window really loud. A premiere screening right in Little Hollywood, but by the time we got to his house, he was standing in his doorway grinning. I said, where'd you get that? He said, I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you, ha ha. I know this is a throwaway line for a lot of people, but there was some amount of gravity behind him when he said that. It was not like hearing it from a guy at your office party, I promise. He said his name was Skip, and he invited us into his house for some pot. Don't mind if I do. That's usually how you get to me if you want to get to me. On our bus, we call that a backstage pass. Skip came (laughs) up with that term. Let me clarify. Someone else apparently came up with the term backstage pass, but Skip applied it to weed. We walked into his house, which was actually the downstairs apartment of someone else's house. One wall of his house was completely signed. Everybody that came there signed the wall, and it turned out everybody'd come there. His wall was like Willie Nelson's guitar, where the only place there wasn't a signature was the place where there was the hole. His whole house was the closet I'd seen a house get to the dressing rooms they create for us in the backs of these places we play. Oh, I see. 
There was a bunch of used furniture table, jam box, and a toilet that worked sometimes. He was always having parties there, which I knew because I heard them from down the street. We started smoking and listening to my album and that he wasn't supposed to have and talking. We never really finished that conversation. Not that day or the next or the day after that. I spent two hours a day with Skip for the rest of his life. He was insane, man. In the best ways that you could be that, I guess. He is a drug dealer, first and foremost. He'd been a roadie, worked at a place called a radio cafe. He knew everybody in Nashville who could play a note. If you knew how to touch something or blow into something or make it sound like music, you knew him, and he'd heckled you before. Heckling involved yelling. As I learned on my walks, and the main heckle of his was play a fucking train song at the top of his lungs. Everybody knew him for that, and almost everybody would do it when he yelled for it. He could yell it at any club with impunity. There was an occasion when a band from Texas was playing at a place in East Nashville called the French Quarter. I think it was probably named that by the same guy who named us Little Hollywood. And Skip started yelling for them to play a fucking train song. The band was not happy about it. A standoff ensued, as they say with the owner. Oh, as they say. Someone said, either this guy goes or we go. And so that guy stayed, and the fucking band went. At least that's what that guy said. I never bothered to verify. It doesn't matter. Around here, Skip's word was gospel. We believed in him. The belief grew stronger at happy hour when he'd go by every single East Nashville bar and drop off a huge bud of pot to whoever was tending bar. As a result, I never saw him pay a dime or a dollar for the whiskey that he drank, and we all saw him drink a lot of whiskey. At night before going back to his house, he'd drive past all his friends' houses and honk. I think he was watching to make sure everybody was okay, and he was honking to let us know that he was watching. Once, Skip and I stole a Christmas tree from the Kroger grocery store. There's no great story behind that event, other than the event itself. We drove up, and he took it. He acted like it was his, and then it was. <laughs> yeah, I was on our way to play um, Bloomington from somewhere, and it was in a rental car. Elvis and I passing a bowl, and uh, we went, you know, how the cop will hide behind the sign. We we go past one. We're going speed limit, but you also know how you just, there's an instinct. You try to beat that instinct, but sometimes, right, if you see a cop, no matter if, if you have your license and your plate, all, if all your shit's together, you still hit that brake a little bit. And uh, that's what Elvis did. And so here he came uh, behind us. And we had a plan. We had a plan A and a plan B. Both are back. Both are still in the shop now because they didn't work. But then plan B was uh, for, for me to go. So I, so the guy comes, the first thing that we did, I, well, that's not all of plan B. I can't say the whole thing because I don't fuck it up. But, but the first thing we did didn't work. And then Elvis was out of the car. Uh, answering the questions right, but he wasn't asking the right questions. And then he finally asked me, do you have uh, drugs in the car instead of on your person? I said, yeah. And he asked me where they were, and they were under my seat. Gave them to him. I go to jail. Elvis starts heading to get the bail thing, which we'd also been through before. And then, then I'm sitting there with a bunch of young people waiting, 
The sheriff is a cat named Mark Frisbee. He knew who I was, which didn't help at all. And then, uh, but he came to the gig, said he was going to help me get out. Then he got busted. I get, well, I don't remember what happened to me, but I don't think, I mean, I didn't have to do any longer time or anything. But then he got busted for taking his family on a vacation and pilfering the money out of the city <laughs> to do it. Which, and got, it was like seven grand and he took him to Mexico. And I think, he, I think even in the book, I, I say it's like, if you'd asked me before we were smoking that joint rolling down the street, if I would have traded it for, you know, five hours in jail. And I thought, yeah, you know, why not? And then that cat, he did like six months in, you know, in not tough, not, not tough. You know, he was on a softball team. Uh, and, and I, you know, the way the, way the laugh factor, man, fuck it. Good call, I think. And then they also said the kid that arrested us, his dad had been the sheriff, and there was some jive between him and the him and the real sheriff. So we fell into a cool thing. I, I remember uh, we fell into a great story that day, and I do still like the frizz. He's in my brother for life file. He said I was in his, so why not put him back? I, now I have a file too. <laughs> But uh, but I don't go through the town anymore because they got him, and now I think that other family's back in there, and and uh, that guy was a tool. You know, he was a douche. Simple as that. You know, we I, there's the argument of uh, whether or not it's safe. That's an argument that I could have all day if somebody wanted to. If there was some way that I would benefit from having that argument, I would have it. But I disagree with people that think we are putting people at risk. It's pretty easy to avoid Greencastle, Indiana. Yeah. You, you guys were, where were you on your way to? Uh, uh, where, 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 I think we were trying to have a nice damn fucking drive. Just today. a joyride? Yeah, a couple of cheats of chong bopping down the road trying to get onto a gig, hurting nobody. No children. <laughs> fuck you. All the stone, hey, we going 30 and a 50. Well, fuck you. Sitting at a green. What was the other time that you got arrested for thought? Um, oh, did I get arrested again? I don't think I've been arrested for, we don't learn my lesson. Gee, I haven't smoked pot since What are you talking about, man? <laughs> Jesus, that was you. I almost killed everybody that day with shenanigans. The whole country. And, I, and the terrorist one, too, now. Finally, I get that. I get that. I, I hurt my own country that day. Never, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't smoke pot to save my life. Any other drug you want to bring me, though, I'm down one. They didn't say anything about those. I still take those a lot, a lot. <laughs> uh, we just uh, we're at um, not they didn't take very long, but you know Jimmy and Ed Bradley and Hunter came uh, to see us, and afterwards they came back and Ed, he introduced me to Ed Bradley and and his friend Doctor Thompson. Took a it took a minute for me to grok who he was. And when I did, I overdid it, you know? And I overacted. And then he started picking on me, you know? This is Ed Bradley? No, Hunter Thompson. Okay. I was like, oh my God, you're Hunter Thompson. And as soon as, it was like, I might as well have just, I might as well have, I don't know what I said, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, I just, I, and he then, he, start, I, he started asking me to sing. And I didn't have my guitar, but there was no way I was going to answer the question right, or it wasn't going to happen. And he shoved me a little bit. I appreciated it. I, I, they were they were drunk and they were fucking rocking out. 
you know. I, I was glad I got to see it. At the time, I just, I thought, oh, fuck. Fuck that up. I always wanted to meet that guy, and that just went terrible. How old were you? 28, something like that. But I also was young enough to go, what a dick. Did he decide he was going to pick on whoever walked in the door, or did no, he have something for you? I think he just seen me be the lead singer, and then I might have, you know. I, I, I try to look back on what I would have been thinking if I was him. And yeah, you know, I just, whatever that, whatever that was, man, I think, I think I hit that switch. I'm glad I did, you know. I, he was what I hoped he'd be. I just wasn't, you know. I'm glad he did what he did, or I wouldn't have learned. But so yeah, he was like the guy he's supposed to be, and I was glad he was that. And hopefully, I'm a little bit, you know, more myself now than, than I was. Was Ed Bradley cool at all? Yeah, but I could, I can't remember, you know, any. All I can remember is those those minutes of the math in my head going, Thompson, Doctor Thompson, you know. I was just sitting there, and then once I figured it out, it was it was about no oh, forty seconds later the whole thing was over. <laughs> well, you know nobody wants to get pushed, but like I was saying, I've always been lucky in that uh, I wouldn't have wanted to. That that's 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 what I wanted. To, I wanted to meet the guy, and that's what I wanted to happen in a, in a way. You know, it was an honest exchange. Yeah, I got this. I got. To, you know, I got to poke in the cage. I got to see it. I got to see it, you know? I got to see the guy. I remember the first thing I ever said to Brian Henneman was, y'all are my favorite band in the whole world. And it was, I had Brooklyn side on, and we had just made our third album. And so we knew that we were going to get to to be the person that went last at these clubs that we'd been playing, and that we could take somebody. And um, they we we asked them; they were our favorite. And uh, it started in Milwaukee, and I saw him, and I said, "They were my favorite band." And we did, he he declared it the Monsters of Tube Socks tour. <laughs> and then uh, what was the other thing he'd say the whole time? Uh, Oh, there was there was a we had a lot a lot of fun and um boy it, it, we were so young I have some cool pictures laying around someplace of all of us and then I just have always seen him if I'm in St Louis you know or I hope to you know I'll go by I went by his gig the last time I was in town didn't they back you up at a festival here recently oh yeah they sure did where was it fuck South Carolina oh yeah we kicked ass didn't rehearse or nothing and I don't think that's the first time. We just kind of wing it, you know. They were over the moon about that. They we just, rock, I wonder if there's a tape of that. That'd be a good tour to do just together, them and me. They said, uh, you know, you just kind of wanted to go for it. Yeah, I don't like to plan it all out. Or, I mean, I've been on the road a long time, you know, and uh, I just like it to be as amusing as it can be. I don't want to get up there with anybody that's worried that it could go bad. I just don't think there's a way that could happen. You know, shit, they have to practice. 
practiced for years. Man, we all practiced forever. We all practice all the time at home. When I nod, stop. Stop. How hard is it? And it works, man. And then our band, the other band, we have moments like that, but but it's a different animal. I'm the singer, and I don't, I don't play. I don't do any. It's a whole different thing. They're tight as tighter than toothpicks in a fucking hat band, and everything's mapped out right up to the part where we fall off the cliff, and then there's no plan for. Tell David schools makes a look at everyone, but I don't know. I don't have anything to do with it. I'm like in the front row, which I love because I love that shit. We got Neil and, and Chad. So for a stoner, it's, that's that's partic- That's my favorite actually is to stand in front of the hardworking Americans and listen to this really good band. But if I'm in, you know, like if I'm the one that has to get it together, <laughs> fuck that man. Meet me at nine. We're on at nine o two. Is it at all intimidating to just not have a guitar in your hand, but to be the guy standing up there with a microphone? I love it. It feels like it's. It uh, feels good on my back. And also, I can get a whole lot further lost into it, and I can take, I can take more, like I can take acid or if I want to, or I can take hallucinogenics in a big way. And just all I got to be there is for that lyric, you know, and it's got to be in a pocket. And if it's not in a pocket, fucking what hippies are going to care? That's not going to happen over and over again. I mean, if it did, I guess I'd get fired. But other than that, it's it's really a, a freeing thing. Hold on to a microphone, stand and sing. Try not to be a douche. Don't dance. <laughs> Shut up. You'd have that knitted on a pillow. So yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Don't dance. That's what I have on the monitor. I played a gig in front of you at some festival in Louisville on Waterfront Wednesdays yeah. a few years ago, and Dan Baird was the bass player, <laughs> yeah. and Warner Hodges was the guitar player. Yeah. And it rained like hell all day, if I remember right. Yeah. But uh, that was pretty damn fun. Yeah, I remember that day, because I had just run into Warner the night before at the Bobby Keys thing, and he said he'd play with me if I ever needed him to. I'm fucking going to Louisville tomorrow, man. And he came on up. Him and Dan figured that shit out in the car on the way up. And uh, Dan's somebody that's just always been like a, uh, like a really, uh, I get a lot of advice and big brothery shit. I'm, I need to call him. I haven't talked to him since his birthday. He's a good cat, man. And through him, I know Warner and that whole, all the, you know, I know a lot of people because I know Dan Baird. Dan's good people. Yeah. Warner is also here. Warner's always been so good to me, too, man. Ever since the day he met me. Both of those guys, I don't know why, but both of them immediately uh, got older brothery on me, and I don't know a way that I really liked, you know. The first time I got out of a rehab, I knew that Warner didn't need to reach out to me, but he did. And then when I fell off the wagon, he didn't, and he didn't make me feel like an asshole. No, that's not, that's a, as a good a friend as you can be. <laughs> well, I can't play anymore. I haven't played in a couple of years, but I was fucking great. For how many years? <laughs> Two, three? Culminated with a, winning a tournament, which is in the book. I was going to the doctor. I don't drink anymore, you know. I probably got about 18 brain cells left, and like six of them are 
in a constant state of debate, you know. But, and I don't give a shit, I had a good run. But at a certain point, this doctor was like, man, you know, work with me a little, you know. This doctor I go, been going to for years. And he said, just do something, you know, like, what do you do when you get up? Well, what do you think? Well, just could you put that on? Oh, wow. So I started, I said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I'm um, at this cat, uh, I'm at my friend's house, friend's house at getting some weed, telling him my dilemma. He's telling me that golf is the most genius thing of all time. And I, I lived real, real close. I live over there. So I walk it all the time. I mean, it's just right there and I see it and I'm, I'm, I'm walking the fucking thing anyway. And so I think, well, maybe I could do this. And then the guy, and then a few days later, somebody shows up, knocks on my door. I can't say his name, but because he because he gets in trouble. But so you know, drug dealer dude told me to bring you these golf clubs, and uh, I was pretty great the first fucking time. And then uh, it's easy. Other sports are easy. And then I won a tournament. Uh, Jack Ingram had some. Uh, troubled celebrity golf tournament or, or like a like a well, sort of like a re- rebuild your reputation celebrity fucking sort of <laughs> try to get to be a celebrity again celebrity now, i shouldn't say that because there was some heavyweight cats there but everybody'd been in trouble and then um and then uh but i won the whole fucking thing and uh had some teammates but even they would tell you hit a thing straight come on Compare it to playing guitar. I don't know. Maybe there's some big deal to it. But. Were you sober through this whole thing? No. I'm just telling you what I was told. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, this is, this is what everyone says. Yeah. But I trust them. <laughs> no, I won that fucking thing. I have a trophy. I broke it uh, that day. Met, I met Mellencamp. Yeah. I actually, to be honest, for some reason... I was I, I was pretty good at that fucking thing pretty quickly, but I had this horrible uh, back arthritis thing, and it was didn't take long to figure out that there was no way I could keep doing it, you know. So, so it fucked me out of being a gentleman. I f- once again fucked out of being a gentleman by the man somehow. You know what I mean? Yeah. You saw it. You saw what I did there. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck Mead and Phil Kaufman have both commented about your golf skills. Did they say I was great? Well, they might not have said great, but they said really, really good. Hey, now. Well, okay, I'll take really good. I'll take really good. They said great. Yeah, okay, great. Chuck said that uh, having you in the threesome actually upped everybody's game because everybody got a little more competitive. And, uh, yeah, yeah. More focused. And nobody has more fun at it, period. And I, get, I, I end up with the most points every fucking time. <laughs> By miles. <laughs> I killed both of those guys that day by like 60. <laughs> I don't think they even fucking know what they're doing. I'm not sure they get it. <laughs> it, it, it did start when I was young, and my, my grandmother on my mom's side had this degenerative arthritis, and I was told right out of high school that that was going to stay with me, that I had a back pain that I was complaining about, that they were going to, that they were saying, you know, this is just not going to get better. And I didn't listen to a lot of the advice for a long time. But then by 30, I was trying to. And then uh, about two years ago, I kind of thought maybe golf would help, but it was a, it was a bad idea. 
and uh, yoga is really the only thing that helps and that fucking Pilates fucking shit but I have to do it because it's really her and so I do it but but uh but that's about two two years ago or a year ago got to where I couldn't get up you know lots of shows are getting canceled and if I would uh if I would I would lay down and then I, you know it'd be a couple days and uh so I finally went out to LA when was this not long ago I'm also mowing mowing this yard with my left hand. I got a muzzle on it, but I promised these guys I'd help out around here. So hopefully that's not too loud. That's an agreement I made with the, the consulate, I believe. Uh, listen, what were we talking about? About your back. Oh yeah. So it got, and now I'm working with the other. I'm doing some. I'm doing some trimming with my other hand now. Now we were we were. Uh, uh, and so uh, this cat George uh, Bodecker, who invented those shoes with holes in them, uh, who's one of the hardworking Americans, had like I guess you'd call it like a rich guy doctor, you know, and he let me go to him, and I stayed out there for a few weeks, and got my shit together, and got uh, it's it would take too long to describe what they did, but but uh, it worked so far, but I have to if I don't do this other shit, then I. It goes right, it, it gets right back to, uh, well, I just, it just hurts, I guess, is the best way to describe it, man. It makes you feel like you have a bunch of weights on you, your legs and your arms. And so it, I hate the bitch, but that, and I, I don't think it'll get better, better, but I, it doesn't have to be as bad as it is. You know? Man, I appreciate you uh, <laughs> chatting with me. Man, I always enjoy seeing you, man. That's great. Thanks for letting me on the thing again. That's great to see you again. I, uh, you know, you got an open invitation whenever. Yeah, thanks, man. You want to come out and cut some grass or? Yeah, yeah, I was definitely. (laughs) I was going to give you. I have a flyer that I wanted to give you, (laughs) and I'm going to give you a few of them, actually, (laughs) because I'm home for like 20 days, and I don't want. (laughs) I don't want to just sit around. No, but thanks, man. Thanks for coming over here, and uh, I appreciate it. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Todd for meeting up with me in that undisclosed location here in East Nashville. You can find out everything you need to know about Todd at toddsnyder.net. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy my record that was just released this week. It's only $7.99 on iTunes. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours, and we'll even put in a little thank you note. But if you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, leave a comment, subscribe while you're there, and you'll get a brand new episode free every Wednesday. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, Please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.